0: Welcome to Tech Live. Stephanie Christopher here, CEO of the Executive Connection. We connect leaders with a trusted network of people who help them succeed. Welcome back, Ashton Bishop. Ashton Bishop is an award winning business keynote speaker and the CEO of Step Change, a strategy driven marketing agency. As Australia's predatory marketer, Ashton is an expert in growing businesses by outsmarting competitors. Ashton has worked internationally on some of the world's biggest brands, running million-dollar campaigns for billion-dollar brands, creating Australia's first mobile app, winning film awards, guest lecturing at leading university, but his career highlight by far is winning Speaker of the Year for Tech as Australia and New Zealand's number one CEO network. Ashton Bishop, welcome to Tech Live.
1: Thanks, Steph.
0: Love it. Yeah, it was getting a bit... Highfalutin there, you billion dollar was, yeah, this and that, and I thought, everyone. he's too big for us now, and he's wearing a tie, you're too big for well, us. Well, the,
1: the the highlight's actually now being on Tech Live video, because yeah. we go back where it was like podcasts, I was know, like back in the old days?
0: I know, we go back to where it was a phone call. <laughs> so good to see you, Same. and we've got so much to talk about, as yeah. always. Why don't we start with your encounter with the amazing Ismail Salim from
1: Singularity yeah, University. Yeah, so- uh, he Salim is amazing and mm. I talk a lot with tech groups around if they're running a platform business it's platform revolution if yeah. they want to scale or know who to compete against it's the exponential organizations which is how do we 10x our business yes and Salim doesn't just 10x businesses he's 10xed his life like he's just amazing to speak yeah. to but when COVID hit I think I first of all spoke to you and then you might have given me the idea that Hang on, everything's changed. So yeah. I actually started tapping some of the authors of books that I've been reading, and Salim took the interview, mm. which was amazing. It's like a, I can't remember. He's at a beach house or something, and just. Ah. <laughs> but I saw him speak on stage, and I said, Salim's what's changed?" And since I think it was about 20, 2020 when we interviewed, he said the musk the muskification of sectors and industries is happening more often and all musk does is look ahead so yeah. he, he did it with like paypal yeah and he looks at the trend line he says where's that going to be in 10 years and invests so digital payments mm-hmm. solar electric cars look out 10 years in place a bet and i realized with the strategy work we were doing we were doing two horizon 12 months a thousand days probably missed the 10-year one so look out 10 years and place you bet. That's really interesting. Based on the trend line of what you see is going to disrupt.
0: Right, right. And so you spoke to him again recently, is that right?
1: Yeah, just like last week.
0: And that's what he was saying. is Yeah, really that, was, changed. that
1: was the bit. So he's, he took his book from, I think, 2016 when he first published it. To... Which is, I think, when I saw him live. Yeah, and, yeah. and he's just gone... Can't do a book anymore. So he's turned it into a platform that's now guided by an AI bot and it's just wild. Yeah. It's just wild. He's
0: really inspiring, isn't he? Super inspiring. So for you thinking about, I guess, tech-sized businesses, meaning our tech, the kind of um, mid-sized businesses in Australia and New Zealand, how does that relate?
1: Well, I guess it's that still same principle of all of the three horizons. And I guess when we get into marketing today... I'll be talking about what we call long and short, which is uh, what I've been doing with our smart versus our spend. But when organisations are doing strategic planning, they need to do the short-term optimization. Yes. They need to figure out where it's going to be within the next 1,000 days because that's controllable. Yeah. But then they also need to take that extra step and just look ahead and say, where's it going?
0: Mm, Really interesting. So let's, I guess, bring it down Mm. to the um, 1,000 days. Yeah, great. Short-term, medium-term. And you talk about outsmart versus outspend. And I love before you were saying to me that then it comes to, but what do I do now? Mm. So.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) I could just feel it going, sorry. (laughs) So then it comes to, but what do I do now? How do I start to apply some of your really, um, forward-thinking strategic principles into my business now to make a difference?
1: Yeah, well, I guess we we generally start with – so we have a marketing lens, as you know. Of course. Steph, so sometimes we'll facilitate strategy, but often we work that into, well, how can we get marketing to turn over? Because yeah. it's generally the fastest way to deliver contribution back to the business, to fill the coffers, to, to move forward. And, and it's the
0: one everyone expects. Yeah, why isn't marketing doing this? If marketing did that, would be fine. More marketing, more marketing. Correct. And people yeah.
1: want the result without investing. Yes. And that's... Of course they do. And that, that's, the, that's the trouble that we see most of the time is that it's a misalignment of horizons based on a misunderstanding of how people work.
0: Go on. Tell me so,
1: more. So effective marketing works with two speeds. It captures current demand which is all of your performance marketing and yeah. direct-to-sales and offers, which is now. Yeah. But then it also needs to build future demand. Yeah. And that's where most businesses don't invest or don't know how to track it because they use the wrong metrics or they think about it in the wrong
0: way. Mm.
1: Because current demand is about my click-through rates, my performance marketing, can I get a lead, can I convert that, so straight into sales. But the future demand is... Have I heard of you? Would I consider you? And then do I have a preference for you? And most of the real meaningful business metrics happen with the second. And most businesses, especially B2B businesses, don't invest there.
0: And I know you talk about that in outsmart versus outspend. Yes. It's the percentage that all businesses should spend on brand.
1: Yeah, and and it's it comes down. So there was a, a book written by Kahneman and Tversky, which they talked about decision making and if we're leaders, if we're communicators, if we're selling, it really talks about how people assess information and process information, Mm -hmm. uh, which is called thinking fast and slow. And it says that, you know, we're emotionally primed and then we have this sort of rational gatekeeper. Yeah. But most businesses just think it's rational, whereas actually they miss the emotional piece and the importance of the emotional piece. So It was about sort of 10 years ago a team called Field and Burnett who are the godfathers of marketing effectiveness. When you think about whiskey whiskey and snifters, that's (laughs) Field and Burnett. There's a
0: context. I said said your whole look, you look (laughs) like you should have a little shot of whiskey with you.
1: But Field and Burnett actually found that what the – and they won a Nobel Prize in Economics, Carmen and Tversky, but they found exactly the same principles applied to marketing, which is really not surprising because – marketing to humans and it's yes. how humans decide. But they then went and got the data and a lot of the business world and marketing world just ignore them. Went, la, 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 la. But sort of 10 years on it's been poked and prodded and investigated and replicated and now it's it's really irrefutable. So if you don't know how much of your marketing budget to spend, it's generally 60% on brand, 40% on short term. Most businesses spend zero dollars on marketing or they spend a 100% on performance and they wonder why it doesn't work.
0: What are some of the metrics for brand then?
1: Yeah. So, so brand goes through really three layers of awareness is that you can't buy if you're not aware. Yeah. Then it's consideration. And this is the real one that b2b businesses get wrong as b2b goes oh it's tenders it's rfps it's technical it's long it's the 400 page document that's where we win and harvard business review cross-referenced some LinkedIn in dartner and some gartner data and what they found was that when a pitch or tender and i think you you've worked in the it sector back in the day did you
0: no oh
1: I just think of you. I
0: could, at, I could have. Uh,
1: <laughs> I, I think when I think technical sale, you worked a lot with sales I, teams. Yeah,
0: I did. Absolutely. Yeah. So
1: when I think of the sort of technical sales teams and yeah. sort of that, that really account sale piece, yes. I, I, I do think of you. But when they study so that, that. Let
0: me just give you some. It was actually um, psychometric assessment delivered via that, platforms. That was it. Okay. Yeah.
1: So when... People go B2B and they go technical and sales focused. They mm-hmm. go, oh, it's all about the sale and conversion. But yeah. what this data found was that actually when the team go to pitch or tender and they say, oh, we should really have a look at that platform or we should really update that technology. Unless you're on the short list before they yeah. start, yeah. you're 92% chances mm-hmm. against it's wild, right? Mm. So if you're waiting to try and win with sales, you end up losing. So you've got to get in that consideration, or sorry, awareness first, then mm. consideration and then preference. And that's probably the second part of the story that there's a, a large research organisation called Cantar mm-hmm. and, and they studied, I think it was 18,000 brands uh, well over a decade, and they looked at the value of the organisation versus the strength of the brand. And what they found was that organisations with a strong brand basically perform at 300% sales conversion, but the trick shot is 13% extra margin. It doesn't sound like a lot, but when you actually look at how margin drops down through, the organization's 30% more profitable. Mm. It's So that's the second effect of a strong brand is defending price, defending margin, and businesses ignore it to their peril.
0: So I want to relate this to the kind of businesses you and I know so well. Yeah. But back to then for the three areas of brand you're talking about, how do you measure that? How does a, um, you know, I know how the big businesses would do yeah. it, but how does a mid-sized business measure the effectiveness of their brand efforts?
1: It's, it's a fantastic question, Steph. And there isn't an easy answer, but there is an easier answer. Uh-huh. So with some of our mid-sized clients now, and there probably is a difference with B2B and B2C yep. around, that, around that measurement, mm. because B2B is still often firmographics, right? You've got multiple decision makers within mm. the one company, yep. whereas B2B it's often a, an individual decision B2C, maker. B2C, yeah. Oh, sorry, B2C. So uh, there's a company called Tracksuit now, mm-hmm. which you generally – you used to pay anywhere up to a hundred grand for a segmentation and then quarterly market tracking. They're doing month to month assessments of market, and they're doing it at you know under you know, anywhere from about sort of twenty grand for the year. It depends, mm. but that gives you not just your marketing funnel, it gives you your competitors' marketing funnel, and it goes back to the question: How much should I spend on marketing? Right, and and the answer to that question is it depends, but the factor it depends on is how much are your competitors spending, and that's what Trackzo gives you a sense of is you get to see how your competitors are spending within the market, because that's the number one factor to predict whether you're going to grow or not.
0: Really interesting. So you're so um, convinced about the brand, the importance of 60% of the budget on brand. How can a mid-sized business that has short-term needs and, uh, you know, performance marketing is Mm. critical to make a difference short-term, how can they um, get their head around Mm. this and apply it in a way that's still going to keep them alive because they might think, well long term's fine and won't be here in three years unless we start to really get some sales in. How can a business
1: manage that tension? Yeah, and it's a really, really great question, Steph. So a startup business who's just getting out there, it's obviously it's all performance, it's very product. You've got to get that product market fit. Yeah. At the mid-size of the scale, so the scale-up, it's about embedding your value proposition, Mm -hmm. right, which is about really justifying why you. Mm. once you get to a more established business, mm. then the brand stuff becomes easier. And it's actually size of business really has a, when the, when they look at the factors of effectiveness, size of business is number one. Right. So the bigger you are, the easier it is. Yeah. The second factor is creativity. Yes. So the counsel there is that, first of all, with any of this stuff, don't do dumb. <laughs> so <laughs> if, so if, if you've got, If you've got a business that's dependent on performance marketing, don't turn it off overnight. That's just dumb. So don't do dumb. But we've seen businesses where they're 100% performance. And you go, what are you doing with your SEO? And they go, what do you mean? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And then we go, what are you doing with your long tail SEO? And they go, now what do you mean? (laughs) Yeah. So there's quick wins there to get better value out of performance. They also don't have a good marketing automation system. so. Mm they're getting people in, but they're not maximising lifetime value. We mm. had a, a small plumbing business yeah, and they were, they're were only doing two mil turnover, but we managed over about a three year period, they went from two to six mil. Mm. But the key was their ticket value went from about $350 to $1,100. Right. So we worked on the value of each sale. So You don't just go, oh, I'm just going to cut my performance marketing. You say, well, what can I do to make people buy more often, Mm. increase the ticket value, increase the value within there? And then you've got greater resources to start placing investments into the future. Mm. But when Mm. I'm saying there's an importance on brand, it's not saying conversion isn't important. Mm. But when we're thinking about that conversion piece, we're only ever... Uh, there's an institute in South Australia called Ehrenberg Bass, mm-hmm. and they've figured out that for most markets most of the time, 95% of people aren't buying. So you go, oh, a new car. You've bought a new car. Yeah. Do you need one now? Maybe, maybe not. So for just about any market, and especially B2B, 95% of buyers are out of the market. So you're spending 40% of your budget on the 3 to 5% that are buying now. You're spending 60% on the 95% of your marketplace that are you're warming up.
0: So where do you start?
1: You start with a value proposition. Mm. Because unless your message is clear, and one of the big debates that marketing is primarily been having with itself <laughs> is <laughs> what they call differentiation versus distinctiveness. Mm. Uh, and a lot of the marketing textbooks from the 80s and 90s were differentiate or die yeah. and all of that really, like you've, you've got to be different. And even, you know, step change, we pride ourselves on predatory marketing, which mm. is not just about differentiation. But distinctiveness says, are you unmistakably you?
0: I love that. I love
1: that differentiation versus
0: Distinctiveness yeah. because I think it gives you a shot.
1: Absolutely does. You
0: can be in there in a somewhat crowded category. Yes. But you don't have to be
1: um, predatory necessarily yeah. to be distinctive. E- exactly right. And I mean, we're still for those challenger mid sized brands, we're, we've probably just reframed predatory. And I've actually got Predatory Strikes Back, <laughs> the next iteration of. Uh, predatory marketing is, yeah. is, is is coming back to tech for that very reason of how do I reconcile these two concepts and integrate them for a midsize challenger brand? Yes. Because the biggest problem with marketing is five ninths of it's misattributed to the brand leader. Yeah. So I love pe- that too. So people are scared, right? Mm. You're a midsize business and you're taking money off performance to put it in brand. You're scared. Mm. And when you're scared, you Play small. Yeah. So you underinvest And safe. And you play safe step. Yeah. So what yeah. do you do? You go, oh, they're winning. I'll just be like them. Yeah. The more you are like them, the, the more you're like helping them. The more you're helping them. Yeah. You know, they say a little competition is not a bad thing if you're market leader. So really a lot of our work is giving brands the courage to be themselves, giving them the courage to be distinctive.
0: Can you give an example? I love your plumber story Mm. or plumbing business story. Can you give an example of where you've worked with a mid-sized brand Mm. and helped them to
1: be distinctive? Yeah, so uh, we've got a campaign that actually just went live (laughs) last week, which is for appliances online. Right. Fantastic brand. Yes. That people just don't think of. So right. unless you've used, because the name's generic yeah, appliances online, right. it's a category generic name, people don't think of it. So no. their awareness is really low, but their service is gobsmackingly good, yeah. right? Their delivery is exceptional. They actually will uninstall and recycle your old appliance mm. as well as putting in the new one. Free
0: sounds ne- great <laughs> free, free next- we're doing infomercials now as part yeah. of
1: <laughs> free, free next day delivery but but they were doing they were doing all performance and they hadn't done any of the brand piece yeah and when you've got basically scam brands like timu who are like you know, putting up the ads but not delivering the product yeah It uh, was my personal experience uh, around that uh, and you've got Harvey Norman who, are uh, you know, just screaming, mm. cry, so oh, fire, so it was so great. We've burnt the new place down. <laughs> right. It's just <laughs> like so much noise. And then you've got the good guys and everyone in and yeah. they weren't being thought of in mm. those moments. So we, we, we had the insight around, well, how do we get into people's heads in those moments? So the other concept that goes with distinctiveness is called brand saliences. How do you come to mind at a buying occasion? Yeah. Yep. And uh, within the winnings group, they have winnings appliances, which is about targeted at renovators. Sorry, yeah, winning appliances are targeted at renovators, mm. different from appliances online. So but it's if, all
0: within winnings. It's
1: within it? the group. Yeah,
0: I'd have thought that's where you were going. But
1: how do you pull them apart? Uh. So we went winnings is about – welcome home. Mm. There's no place like home. Come to our place to imagine yours. So mm. that gave them a place to play. But for appliances online, the insight was, is that when an appliance starts to wear you down, it can feel like it's out to get you. You know, those moments where you just lay down. When you the,
0: wash your machines. You yeah, yeah it's that's, that's exactly it. Said, right? well.
1: And and that's the moment, right? Yeah. So you've already got that. So the, the goal of the brand is how do we tap into that? Yeah. And then how do we use it? So we, so we had the campaign, and say goodbye to appliances, <laughs> hello, appliances online. Yeah. So we differentiated from the online set, like the yeah. team moves by saying, uh, you know, 100% Australian service by showing mm. that. Mm. We put a value on overnight delivery, which they weren't valuing in the past. Because if you haven't bought something recently, what's delivery cost? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we put a value on that. And then we actually did uh, the brand campaign of "Say Goodbye to Appliances," mm. which is about tapping into that moment when, when, when the washing machine yeah. feels like the washing machine's coming across your bedroom to wake you
0: up. Yeah, yeah. Or the beeping, everything beeps. It does. And the beeps it? get louder yeah. and louder. Yeah. Something's beeping too much. Okay, so great. That's a distinctive value proposition. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. What's next? And and
1: and so not differentiated, but but distinctiveness. Distinctive. But underneath that, we start to then layer our value in. Yes. Yeah. And that's why we start with a value proposition. Mm. Yeah. But we distinctiveness trumps differentiation. It's not that differentiation isn't important. Right. It's distinctiveness trumps, trumps it. it. And that's the counsel for any small business starting up. When we're, when we are doing our small stage early mm. startupy type of things, our brand style guide, the distinctive assets of yeah. how we present ourselves become really, really important. Yes. They're going to last the distance. They're going to last the journey.
0: I've seen so much over the years of brands thinking they're differentiating, yeah. but they're just saying the same thing as everyone else. Yeah. Our solution, our something, something. In something. the same way. Yeah, and, totally. And saying everyone's that. And everyone's I, that. I, often,
1: I've, I often joke and I say yeah, to a, to an audience, I say, I've looked at your websites. And they go, who? I go, the one that says... We've been around since 1975 <laughs> providing a high value service and our staff are our greatest assets. Yeah, our
0: staff, they are.
1: We want to be the supplier of choice yeah. and the one-stop shop. <laughs> it's just... it, And, like, tell me I'm wrong. Like, have a look at your competitors' websites, your yeah. own websites. They're saying the same yeah, stuff. Yeah, they are
0: saying the same thing.
1: And you think about that bar analogy, like if we really want to make an impression of with somebody in a bar we don't walk up and start listing our history. Mm. We've got to engage. And it's the same test for for any business or brand or any size.
0: Okay. So I've got my value proposition. Yep. I'm I'm distinctive.
1: Absolutely. Then then we move on to and and one of the things that once again used to be really really expensive that's now much more affordable is what we call a market segmentation. Yeah. Is really understanding where's the volume Mm. and where's the value.
0: Mm.
1: And most businesses don't have that information. No. Uh, So they're either, and they make one of two errors, they're either targeting too broad or even worse, they're targeting too narrow. Yeah. And it then becomes, and the too narrow targeting becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy is they find this tiny wedge and they, they put the hook in, they pull a fish out. Yeah. And then another one. go, This is works. Great.
0: This, this is is it. works. We've, we've nailed it.
1: And they go scale, scale, scale. And then they fish it out. Yeah. And that's how, you know, the, the sad reality, Steph, is that, you know, tech members outperform the market on just about every metric. Mm. The trouble is the survival rates for businesses suck. Across the market. Right. Mm. So the chances of you being able to start up, scale up, and stay the journey. Become mm. frighteningly low, mm. and and especially if we've got ambitious growth objectives. So mm. Even I think it's the world's one of the most successful venture capital firms in the world, Andreessen Horowitz. They look at three thousand startup cases. They then might invest in twenty out of three thousand, so that's like percent. Yeah. Out of the twenty that Andreessen Horowitz invest in, what percentage make it? Two out of the ten. Wow. It's wow. It's absolutely wow. So you know we we're looking for any way we can tip the odds in our favor, but starting off with a good market segmentation. And generally, there's a peak body or research companies that actually have reports and give you a sense. But what's the volume and value, and how does and how does the market break up into segments? Mm. That's the second step.
0: So let's target. Let's really hone in on those mid-sized businesses yeah. that that want exponential growth. Yep. Um, and assume these things well, they probably have to go back and look at the value proposition. Absolutely. Their distinctiveness
1: and Yep. And that's the place to start, Steph. Value proposition, distinctive assets. And
0: and what's the thing that will be the absolute breakthrough?
1: So the absolute breakthrough is the confidence to stop thinking short term and start investing in their long term growth. Right. Because Businesses say to me, Oh, they go, Oh, look, we're gonna triple in three years. Mm. But they're currently yeah. pulling out people who are only in the market in a tiny wedge. Yeah. The people just aren't there. Yeah. Now, the thing about brand marketing is that you can turn on performance marketing and we could get you a bag full of fish this afternoon. Yeah. But that's gonna run dry unless we create future demand. Yes. But the payoff for that, and this is the bit that people don't like, and there's just no easy way to break the news, so I hope everyone's sitting down at home. (laughs) (laughs) Brand marketing takes from 18 months to two years to really start out performing Mm. the short stuff. Mm. And businesses review results when? On the day, on the week, (laughs) on the month. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're going to sit at your quarterly board review. Yeah. So that's why we need to track awareness, consideration, preference, and really start to see the lead indicators of future demand. Yes. If you can hold your nerve. Yes. Right, because it takes, and you know, you've probably got better data within TechStef, but from start-up to scale-up to exit in a really meaningful way mm. where you do create the opportunity for that leader to become a better leader but also mm. make a transformational impact for their family and legacy mm. with value in a business it's probably around seven to 10 years. Yeah, It yeah. really is, at least. but where are they investing? Next now. month, next quarter, yeah. right? If we can actually look ahead and plan for that, we've just tipped the odds in our favor.
0: And so the key to that is brand.
1: Absolutely, absolutely it is because brand creates future demand and sustains price differentiation. Like it's the number one factor that Buffett looks at mm. when he's investing in a company. Mm. can i sustain a price premium mm. if i put if i put my prices up will people stay mm. or if i put my prices up do i need to cross my fingers say a prayer and hope yeah right that's that's the factor that's what buffett looks at and he's the best investor and we're all investing in our businesses mm. we're all investing all the time so we better have <laughs> strong price defense
0: mm.
1: elsewhere we're wasting wasting our investment
0: how common is it, do you think, in mid-sized, smaller, and mid-sized businesses, that um, fear of looking at anything long-term, long-term being beyond the end
1: of yeah. this financial year? I think I think that's the biggest. It's the biggest battle, Seth. Mm. And certainly, you know, where I struggle, you know, I've, I've had some of my clients who, and we'll often start with the conversion piece, right? So we talk about, we've talked about the brand metrics of. Awareness consideration purchase. There's you can get much more pointy with what we call the funnel metrics for the sales conversion. Yes. You know, which is marketing qualified leads, sales yep. qualifying leads. All how the many way through the process. Yes, yep. How many proposals went over? What did we convert? Yep. How long did it take? Yeah. Did they buy again and did they refer? Right. We can be really identified around that and mm-hmm. really tight. And we have to do that before mm-hmm. we start really investing in anything long term Mm. so we must get the short right to make sure that we know what's going down the Mm. funnel but i've had clients where we've optimized the short they've got really comfortable with the short game and then we go great so now you're going to do some newspaper advertising yeah and i check in i go how's that going and they go oh we're thinking of stopping it it's not working yeah yeah, right how long in yeah you know a couple of months in yeah it just doesn't work like that We can wish it would work like that, but it just doesn't work like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hold your course. Hold your course. Can, and this isn't a Dorothy Dixter. I mean it, can businesses do this on their own or are they going to need help to truly have true, you know, significant growth? Are they going to need help in the beginning?
1: It depends on the size and sophistication of the business Mm. because- the way i view it is great a great marketing person like Mm -hmm. a a proper marketing cmo should actually be having meaningful business input across four areas designing solutions and products that fit the market that's that's the p pricing and do we need that now you bet right we're in a inflationary stagflationary environment if you don't know (laughs) people go Putting up your prices, not putting up your prices, it's making sure that customers see value yes, of in course. increased prices. Yeah. So a CMO needs to have input into that. The path to market, absolutely critical. Mm. So that's your placement. And then the promotions bit. Mm. Right. So a good marketing is not my social media campaign. No. A good marketing, <laughs> a good marketing campaign is not your newsletter. It actually requires three marketing brains. The first thing is strategy, who can actually have a board level CEO conversation. And make sure they understand what we're doing and why. Because if you can't invest properly and hold the line, it'll fall over. Mm. So you need the strategist who can also look ahead that seven to ten years and figure out the positioning. Mm. Then you need the person who can do content. So for a lot of B2B, a lot of midsize, you can't just buy your way there. Mm. You're going to have to earn your way there. Yeah. And that's producing great content. Some organisations have a Steph who can... (laughs) Host a podcast or I mean you're you're a really great face for the organization. Some organizations don't have that leader, right? right. So they're missing an asset around yeah. the content. Yeah. Right. So one thing that we know about tech is that you understand enough about sales and marketing so yeah. you can do that role and that yeah. role. But then the third part is the optimization efficiency of driving the short, which mm. is a very different skill set because without that you're not optimizing your funnel you can't scale effectively Mm. if you just have that you get tits and sirens Mm. because people just go woo! right Mm. it's clickbait it's Mm. a disaster Mm. without strong content and strong positioning optimization itself is an absolute disaster because optimization will optimize for short-term return which is the uh, return on advertising spend which is cost per click and we see this all the time. And the biggest trap for people who are spending on short-term digital marketing is they end up buying AdWords that convert people who are going to buy their business anyway. Right. That's the biggest trap. They're spending money mm. converting people who are going to buy anyway. So the return on advertising spend looks fantastic. Yeah. But the growth of the business is an absolute disaster. Mm. So they're driving down the cost per click and they're really just shortening the runway of their business. And it's really hard. Unless you're a good strategic marketer, you can't actually spot that and you end up optimising yourself off a cliff.
0: Wow. Because, (laughs) because, you know, as a CEO when I get given a number, here's the cost per lead and I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care what the cost per lead is. I just want worthwhile leads Correct. that are going to make a difference. Yeah.
1: I'd actually pay a lot more money for and a lead if it's going to be a good one. But that's that's why you've got a strategic brain, Steph, because you're going, I will pay yeah. <laughs> more and more for a lead as long as I can still deliver value to my client by yeah, yeah. the right lead and I can do it in a way that supports my business. Right. Yes. So you'll go – I'll pay as much as I can for a lead, as long as I'm converting someone who values my service. Yeah, in a way that's valuable. With a lifetime can... value of a customer, that's going to. Yeah, but people who don't get marketing don't think that way. Mm-hmm. They go, "Hang on, I only i was paying twenty dollars yeah. for a lead last month, and it's yeah. gone up to twenty yeah. two. Bring that number down." Yeah, and it's so short sighted. We've actually developed <laughs> a, a product, uh, and uh, I had to hire and fire three digital executives myself. <laughs> So we call it a digital balance sheet and a digital profit and loss.
0: Yeah, right. Right.
1: Which is actually, because uh, with our plumbing business, it, it, the the guy who started that business was one of my best mates. And he'd mm. come from HP, massive yeah. organisation. Yep. And he'd taken over and they were spending, they're only a $2 million business. They were spending $20,000 a month in this all-in-one magic marketing showbag thing. And I've gone, mate, that's a lot to spend. For a small business, can you give me a report? They didn't have a report. Mm. Two weeks later, he turns up with a report. Guess how long the report is? Pages. 80 pages. I was going to say pages. 80 pages. And I read through it and I've gone, Jace, I've got 20 years marketing experience. I've got no idea <laughs> what any of this nonsense means. Yeah. He goes, what do I do? I said, turn the whole lot off and let's go back to your value prop, your distinctive brand assets. And we actually just went back to, all right. What's your organizational purpose? Plumbing peace of mind. And why is that so powerful? Because instead of plumbers turning up to fix the pipes, what do they do? They turn up to assist the person who's flipping out. Mm. So they call ahead, they're on time. They say, Hey, Steph, it must be really stressful the fact that your kitchen's blown up this morning. You might not be able to get to the coffee machine. Can I grab your coffee on the way? You'd be like, Is this my plumber? Wow, yes, please. I love Jace. Yeah. Everyone loves Chase. You should see their Google reviews off the charts. You should see their referrals and recommendations off the charts.
0: I've known you for nearly 10 years. You're one of the first people I met before I even started at Tech.
1: Wow.
0: I know. It's amazing, isn't it's it? has gone like that. And our, I know. And our conversations have always been so interesting and and so esoteric sometimes. And this one of them all, feels so clear, so centred, so practical, I feel like I have to go (laughs) make a (laughs) lemongrass and ginger (laughs) cup of tea and sit down because I actually think I'm really clear on what needs to happen. Great. That was really good and some great stories in there but with your mega strategic lens on this... I think you have made it so simple with your message that you've been saying for a while now that it's short-term and long-term, that you cannot survive on just performance marketing in short-term. You have to think about brand. Mm. And I think you might have finally got through, Ashley. But it's just, as always, such a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you very much for joining us on Tech Live. Thanks for having us back, Steph. So that's Tech Live for today. CEOs are in the business of making decisions and leadership is the art of execution. I'm Stephanie Christopher and look forward to talking to you next time.